Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our scripture for today is from Exodus 1, 8 through 14, 2, 23 through 25. And it's on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and, in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor, They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. After a long time, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God knew. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In our youth and children's class, we've been looking at foundational stories of scripture. And we just concluded studies on promise and exodus. God's promise to Abraham to make his descendants as numerous as the stars, and God's act of deliverance for the Hebrew people out of Egypt. These are stories that some of us have seen illustrated on felt boards, or in sandboxes, or in VeggieTale movies, or Bible cue cards. Perhaps you recognize our anthem from the critically acclaimed retelling of the Exodus story, The Prince of Egypt. We know these narratives well, perhaps better than we know most stories in scripture. They have action and drama, the voice of God, fantastical events and miracles. They make for great storytelling. And it's no wonder that they were told over and over again at campfires and holy days for the Jewish people throughout scripture and still today. They are identity-shaping narratives, origin stories of long-suffering, resilient people who have endured exile, systemic violence, ethnic cleansing, and even now are targeted for hate crimes. Just a few weeks ago, a synagogue not three hours from us in Austin, was set on fire. But these stories 
tell of an enduring promise, an enduring blessing that is stronger than any trauma, any tragedy, any work to eliminate and subdue them. However, these are not only stories about people. They are also stories about God. The God of the Bible cannot be fully known apart from this Exodus narrative. We've read a, a few prophet narratives over the past few months, and they all point back to this time. Remember, remember how God heard us, how God delivered us, how God led us, how God shaped us. Remember, remember the liberation, the manna, the fire, the desert, the Red Sea. Remember, remember how we were called, how we were protected, how we were freed. As Christians who consider the Hebrew scriptures as part of our sacred text, we can't know God fully without the Exodus story. We can't understand the memory of genocide evoked in Herod's call to kill all the infant males in Jesus' time and place without the story of it first being done in Egypt. We can't understand how deliverance is different than conquest in the Gospels without the witness of the Hebrew people walking out of Egypt rather than toppling the empire. And we can't fully understand the weeping of Jesus at Lazarus's tomb, a story we read just a few weeks ago, moved by the anguish of his people without knowing that the anguish of God's people always mobilizes the Holy One. This story may have begun for you on a felt board or on Veggie Tales or in children's class, but it doesn't stop there. It's a story for the young, sort of, because it requires so much divine imagination, and children are experts at that. But that is the mere planting of the seed. We water this seed as we retell the story over and over again as we grow. We expand the details as we get older, the violence, the imperialism, the unfettered greed, and the seed germinates. And we keep telling the story so that like a plant, hungry for the sun, we may stretch toward God even more, even closer, as we continue to learn not only about our faith forebears and the wisdom practiced by our Jewish brothers and sisters, but also the origin of our Messiah, the one who heard this story over and over and was so profoundly shaped by his Jewish faith that some people confused him with Moses. So let's consider the actual portion of the text we read together today. We are focused on the outcry of the Hebrew people. We've been in a series about hope and prayer, examining the longings recorded in the witness of scripture, and we're ending the series on a longing not articulated by beautiful speeches or elaborate storytelling, but by a prayer without words to no one. If you remember, the Hebrew people had come to Egypt because of Joseph. They came in a time of famine and were taken care of thanks to Joseph's inn with the palace. And they grew and multiplied in their new home. But the old Pharaoh died, 
and the new one was fearful of the booming population of the strange people who worshipped but one god. So he enslaved them in order to subdue them. And his fear is interesting because he wasn't afraid that they might rise up against him and overthrow the government. His fear was that they would escape, that they would leave, and he would lose the forced labor practice that was an essential part of his great state building program. With his brutalizing public policy, Pharaoh's building program was a systemic operation that had at its disposal enormous technical capacity, relying on imperial ideological authority. And so he made it policy that these people were his property. They were means of production for his ego and greed. But even as Pharaoh was ruthless in his oppression, the Hebrew people continued to grow and grow. So he worked them harder, and they kept expanding. It's almost as if the narrative is suggesting something about the power of Abraham's blessing. That perhaps the promise to be as numerous as the stars might be stronger than empire's crushing weight that perhaps the undertow of this blessing is able to quietly carry a destructive and death-dealing power out to sea, the Red Sea, to be exact. So the story continues. The new Pharaoh dies, and a new, equally ruthless one came into power, and the second half of our text says, the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out, It was a collective, guttural cry to no one in particular. God doesn't even enter the story until the cry reaches the ears of the divine. And with four verbs, God heard, remembered, looked, and knew, we see the Holy One mobilize into the most miraculous deliverance of all time. And we don't read that part of the story today, but we know it's coming. We paid attention in Sunday school. And it began with a prayer expressed through an outcry addressed to whoever was listening, if anyone was. I don't know if you've accumulated plants over the pandemic, like me, but I've got quite the menagerie in my kitchen. Some are needy and ask for my concern regularly, putting out a pitiful yellow leaf to get my attention. Some like to be in the sun and others don't. Surprisingly, one of my plants has thrived in a dark corner. It's a moody one, I suppose. I have an ivy that I've talked about before that was repotted and rehabilitated by Scotty in February 2020. And I brought it home with me shortly after not knowing how long it would stay in my house. And it has grown long and has strong opinions about its care. But it has served as a marker of the length of the pandemic for me. We've been in this thing for this ivy long, this many leaves long. I have saved it from Annie's leaf pilfering, (laughs) a nosy dog, and a tumble to the floor. It spent time in a couple rooms in my house, but likes the windowsill best where it can wrap its tendril around other plants as if to say, hello, my friend. But the plants in my office have also been asking for attention. 
I've been battling a gnat invasion in my office for the past few weeks. They were obsessed with this dying plant I had on my filing cabinet, so I removed that plant, but they have hovered still over my bamboo plant. And this plant has grown quite tall since I first brought it with me on my first day working at Azel in August 2019, and it's since tripled in size. I've repotted it once, I'm gonna have to do it again soon. And it's been the easiest plant to care for to date. It can go a few weeks without water, and I know this by accident. <laughs> but now it is the focus of gnats, and that has caused me a lot of consternation. I've swatted gnats compulsively while on camera on Zoom calls. I've inhaled one. I've squashed them left and right. They're everywhere. And in my swatting, I've been thinking about this text. Even though the portion we read today does not mention the coming plagues, I can't help but think that this gnat invasion is a kind of portent. If you recall, gnats were one of the actual plagues. And I'm not very superstitious, but I am dramatic. I love a possible omen, so let's lean into it. <laughs> of course, I don't think that these gnats are a message from God, at least not a message so direct that it has one interpretation. But perhaps it is an opportunity to pause and reflect. Mary Oliver wrote, attention is the beginning of devotion. So I like to think that paying attention to stuff like gnats is a form of devotion to God. So I wonder, what could this small-scale gnat invasion have to say to me? What might it be asking me to let go? How might my hands soften from a seizure of control? How might my heart resist a hardening born out of fear? What is seeking to be delivered, liberated in the name of God in my life? This, of course, puts me kind of in the role of Pharaoh in the structure of our story. And our focus is the guttural cry the outpouring of grief and rage from the Hebrew people to no one. But isn't it interesting that in this story we know so well that we've seen in every cartoon form imaginable that the gnats come after the cry, that the dismissal of the suffering does not make the suffering go away. It's the ear that does not listen to the grief that brings more of it in everyone's lives. So much so that the suffering invades private spaces, sacred spaces, and it touches every part of life and it echoes through Pharaoh's empire, impacting generations to come. And I wonder that if the God of the Bible cannot be fully known apart from the Exodus story, then the story of our lives, the one we tell in our Christian spaces, cannot be fully realized without listening to the cry, without emitting the cry ourselves.
It is so very wearisome to be in the presence of grief. Whether we're talking about ourselves as individuals or as a collective people, whether we are talking about our private mourning for things in our own lives or we are talking about injustice prevailing again and again, it is exhausting to give ourselves over to that which wounds us. But it is far more devastating to ignore it. However frightening it may seem to give an ear to anguish, to give voice to suffering, it is far more catastrophic to dismiss it. It is perhaps even sinful as to do as Pharaoh did and pile on more work, more labor, more activity in order to silence the cry. Because that cry from the Hebrew people, though it seemed like it was evaporating into the air, that it was useless, was heard by God. God heard, God remembered, God looked, and God knew. And the Holy One was mobilized into a powerful act of deliverance and formation of a people. A people that our Messiah came from. Our Messiah, whom we will welcome once again in a few weeks in Advent. A Messiah who will be born with a cry on his lips. His very first prayer moments after being delivered. So that it seems, deliverance is correlated with expressions of our most honest pain. But the silencing, the dismissing, the ignoring of our pain, of others' pains, leads to gnats or something like that. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.